If you would turn in your scriptures to our scripture reading in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7, as the young nation of Israel began to take the promised land, beginning at verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. 37 men, 36 men lost their life because of Achan. Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before the enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted thing shall be burned with fire. 
he and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Now if you turn over to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter two. At verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let us pray. Father, open your word to us. Give us wisdom, give us understanding, help us to be thoughtful as we consider our own lives before your word. Help us to change what you would have us change, to reorient us, that the love of the Father might be in us. And we thank you in his name. Amen. Well, we've seen from the scripture already in weeks past that our love for the Father is our north star. Our love for the Father keeps us straight. It keeps us true. It keeps us on the right path navigating through life. His 
will and his word abides, the will of God abides forever, whoever does the will of God. But the love of the world is strong, we know that. And our text gives us that warning, do not love the world or the things of the world. You can't love the world and love the Father. It's not a little of both, it's one or the other. The love of the world or the love of the Father. Once there was a moose in Arnstein and it walked in circles for days and then weeks. It became a bit of a celebrity. Tourists came to look at it. It was in the summer and the schoolyard was empty and it had claimed the schoolyard and it walked in circles in the schoolyard day after day after day. It never got anywhere, just circles. The Ministry of Natural Resources came in and finally put the moose down. They said the moose had a brain disease, a sickness, and that there was nothing to be done for it, that it would continue to walk in circles until it starved to death. The world has us walking in circles at times would have us going east as we saw last time, the cravings of the flesh, he says in verse 16, the desires of the flesh, those cravings of our inner sinful essence, of our fallenness, of our sinful nature. And if that is the east, then the south is today. He says, the desires of the eyes. The desires of the eyes, the cravings of the eyes. That which is external being brought in through our eyes, into our hearts. I mean, the eyes are an amazing creation of God, aren't they? They are incredible. Everything has to work for them to work. They are such complex Things are our eyes. Proverbs says this, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. God made the eyes. They are considered to be the second most complex part of who we are. The first is the brain and the second is the eyes. And only one-sixth of the eye is what people see when they look at you. Only one-sixth of it is exposed. It has over two million working parts. They process enormous amounts of information every second. Eighty percent of our memories are determined by what we see through our eyes. And Jesus, our Savior, he would heal uh, blind people on occasions. And people brought their sick and the blind to him. And we can't know how many blind people uh, 
he, he actually healed because they were part of the crowds. But we do know that only Jesus healed the blind. In all of scripture, others did miracles at times, the prophets and the apostles, but only Jesus is said to have healed the blind. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus quotes this verse, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blinds. He gives sight to the blind. So vision, of course, is a precious thing. And if we had to choose which sense we must give up, we would probably put vision very low on that list because vision is just so incredible. And it seems to us so necessary in our daily life. So while it's precious and good, the cravings of the eyes lured by the world can feed our sinful natures. And this certainly includes sexual sins in this context. Jesus told us that if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And all these temptations and sins are of the world, and of the world we remember, do not love the world or the things in the world. David, of course, is the great cautionary tale in the Old Testament. Late one afternoon, David rose from his couch, walked on his roof, and he saw from the roof a woman bathing. Remember that? He saw her, and one thing led to another. His seeing wasn't innocent. It wasn't right. One commentator says this, he says, The love of beauty divorced from the love of goodness is that craving of the eyes, the lust of the eyes. The love of beauty divorced from the love of goodness. Jesus would say, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body's full of light. When your eye is bad, your body's full of darkness. And it takes intentional, deliberate effort to not let our eyes wander, to fill our minds and hearts that so quickly we'll fill ourselves through our eyes with images that defile us and they create darkness within us. From movies that you might choose to watch. I mean, some are so so violent. Some movies are like they're trying to come up with how many ways to kill people can be killed. And so filled with with sexual imagery. And the advertisements in social media and on the sidebars and celebrities and they're carrying on. I mean, 
we have to be intentional and deliberate and work at this to be holy and to seek the face of God, to honor him and to honor others. So the writer of Proverbs said this, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your ways. I'm grateful for a dad who never, I never saw him look at another woman. I never saw him, his eyes wandering, following some woman with his eyes, taking a second look. I never, never saw that happen. God sees our eyes and our heart. Proverbs says, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. God sees. And he sees us. And that which entices our eyes and lures our eyes and tempts us, I mean, it's the material world. It's the physical world in view here. Just like Eve who saw the tree, she took of the fruit, she ate it. One thing led to another. It began with her seeing. And as we saw in Joshua chapter 7 where Achan, he's, he, he, he ex, ex, trying to explain himself, he said, I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak. The first thing that caught his mind, his eyes, was this beautiful cloak. And then all of the gold and the silver. And I coveted them, he said. I wanted that cloak. We live in a materialistic culture, don't we? Wants are many, needs are few. And we are bombarded by advertisements and clickbait and products that are popping up on our screens, (laughs) trying to get our eyes on whatever they have. You know, they'll, they'll put the headline and they'll make sure the important words left out so that you'll have to click on it if you want to see it. Facebook is just full of ads for different products. How do we as Christians live in the midst of a culture that is steeped in materialism without becoming materialistic ourselves? How do we do that? Because we can hardly appreciate how well we have it how well off we are, how good we have it, and how do we keep our hearts from being lured to have a lot of stuff to crave with our eyes? I mean, with abundance come special challenges of faith, and clearly those who are reading John's letters, there were were some there who were quite well off, who are reading it, 
who he's writing to, who might be longing for the things of the world, but do not love the world or the things in the world. Because it it replaces our love for the Father. It replaces our satisfaction in Him, our dependence on Him, our contentment in Him. And like the rich fool who had the barn but wanted to build bigger ones, his life was consumed by more and more. And that night he died. Jesus would say, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he would say, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And Paul would say this, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's going to have consequence in your life in other areas, and it's not going to be good at all. If we surrender to the prevailing cultural ethic of materialism, where we usually would end up in is debt. You end up in debt, mountains of debt, because our culture is telling us you can have it all, and they want to give you money, loan you money to get it all. From mortgage debt to lines of credit to credit card debt to student loans and vehicle loans and all sorts of debt. You know, as of 2019 in Canada, those who were under 35 on average owed $69,000. 35 to 44, 105,000. 45 to 54, 130,000. The older you got, the more in debt you were, the more you owed. Interesting. Right now, they say that for every dollar that a person has in Canada, they owe a dollar 83. And that means many are living beyond their means. And making choices that are informed by the world, where the world says you've got to do this, you've got to have this, you, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll loan you money. Banks love debt. Everyone wants you to go into debt. And then when you get into debt, you start praying to God to get out of debt. Charlene and I were talking about it this week. The first day of university, when we were at York University for, from our small town, you had to go up and get your, your, your OSAP and all of these different things at different tables. And you couldn't get your OSAP until you, got, you first stopped at a bank table. And at the bank table, and they must have had the contract for the whole university because it was Toronto Dominion Bank. 
you signed up and we got our first debit card first one and a credit card it was so easy peasy you know use credit card we never even used credit card until university we didn't even know what it was really it was so easy they start you off young remember the wish book hey I don't think they have that anymore, do they? No? Oh boy, it was a big deal in my house. Four siblings, it was war. Who got to look at the wish book first for, for Christmas? And you'd go through it and you'd circle, hoping mom and dad would go through it and notice what you circled. And then the next sibling would get it and so on and so forth. You just wait for the wish book. I suppose Amazon's the equivalent now, but and you get all this stuff, and then there's some who don't want to part with anything. They don't want to part with any of it. Verse 17, and the world is passing away. I mean, if you have this attitude, it's never enough. It, it, all of this is going. It's leaving along with its desires. What lasts eternally is those who do the will of God. And the will of God is that you be saved, that you be sanctified, that you be holy. <coughs> How do we protect ourselves from materialism? Well, there's lots of practical things. You know the bundle of store advertisements that come? Don't look at them. <laughs> you won't even know that you're missing. It's out on something, that something exists. It's being generous. Be generous. God loves a cheerful giver. Be generous to other people. Make that part of your, your life. And make sure you're, you're giving to the Lord. Some young families, you need to start that, pract- that practice and that discipline, giving a portion to the Lord. Every week, every two weeks, whenever it, it, it works. And, and, you know, it's certainly not cheaper to have a building like this. And utilities are going up here too. And, and costs and... All of that. Consider this. I have this written on a, on a sticky note above my computer at home. I already have what I think I need. <laughs> I already have what I think I need. That stops me from impulse buying. I already have what I think I need. Take time. Don't be impulsive. Take a few days. Most likely you'll forget about what was so important in the moment. If somebody owes you money, forgive their debt. That's a good way to protect yourself. Forgive 
their debt. Release people from that bondage. As you excel in everything, Paul says, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He's talking about giving. And our love for the Father is not because He gives us stuff. And His love for us is not expressed in giving us material things. The evidence of God's acceptance and approval in a great portion of history was considered to be how well off you were. If you were well off, well, God must love you. If you're poor, well, you must be a great sinner. If you're poor and you don't have anything. That's sort of the health and wealth gospel throughout history. But nowhere in the New Testament are possessions spoken of as a blessing from God. Nowhere. Never are materialistic things called a blessing. Instead, blessing, the word blessing is reserved for characteristics of the, of the heart and what God is doing in the heart. Blessed are the poor, the meek, the persecuted, the poor in spirit, the mourning, the merciful. Blessing for those who are watching for the return of Christ, for persevering under trial. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Love the Father. Love the Father. Seek what He seeks. Love what He loves. Do what He does. Keep your eyes on him guard your eyes over a hundred years ago people who were sick with tuberculosis were put in places called sanatoriums health houses a sanatorium and there are stories written about how these poor folks would be out in the courtyards and they would walk in circles. They would just walk in circles around and around. Futile, not going anywhere. Most would die. You might be walking in circles yourself this morning. Loving the world. Loving the things of the world. The desires of the flesh going east. The desires of the eyes going south. And you're spiraling. And it leads to death. Eternal death. And there's only one cure. And it's not your love for the Father. That's not the cure. The, the cure is His love for you and what He did for you. Look over at 1 John chapter 4. 
verse 19. We love because he first loved us. He first loved us. It's not that we love the Father, and that's an impressive thing. It's No, he first loved us. And how did he love us? Well, this passage tells us. Look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. He gave his son Jesus. That's his great love for us. He gave his son to die for our sins, that we would have forgiveness, new life, new hope, new purpose, a new future, being new creations. This morning, would you believe that the Father's love for you is not because you deserve love, not because you love him. His love for you is expressed in the giving of his son to die for you. And he calls you to repent of your sin and to find that forgiveness, receive it. Have your sins washed away by the sacrifice of Christ. And then you're in a position to love him to follow him and to follow the North Star safely home. To love him because he first loved you. Jesus is said would, when he met blind people, there's eight times where it was specifically just the person was blind. He looked on them with pity, and he touched their eyes, and they recovered their sight, and they followed him. And some of you need to recover your sight this morning, that spiritual sight, to understand who he is, what he's done for you. The materialistic world has nothing for you. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The Father loves you and gave his Son for you. Follow him. Those of us who are Christians here, we have to take care. We can't give in to the distractions of the East, the essence of sin in us, or the distractions of the South, pursuing the materials of the world. Head north, always north. The love of the Father. Live it out this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your Son, the evidence and the gift of love to us. He who died for us. We pray everyone here would have that assurance and that knowledge of the forgiveness of their sins 
that would have life everlasting, having repented and believed on the Son. And everyone here this morning purposing to follow Him and that you would bear in us those things that are pleasing to you, those character traits and those areas that you would file off and those rough things in us that you would change, that you would, would bless us, that we would be more like Jesus. Not that we would have more of the world, but be more like Jesus. And we pray, Father, for this as we seek your face. And our heart says, yes, Lord, your face will we seek. And we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.